From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. In this segment, we'll be taking a look at some basic scientific research into neurodegeneration. I'm talking with Dr. Jessica Hinty Ridella. She's an assistant professor of cell and developmental biology and of biochemistry and molecular biology at Upstate. Thank you, Dr. Ridella. Hi, thank you. When we talk about neurodegeneration, I want to have you help with a definition. Are we talking about the natural aging process or something else? So it can be the natural aging process. There's aspects of neurodegeneration that occur in aging, but generally speaking, neurodegeneration is sort of an ongoing process where um, you lose the function of your neurons, which are your brain cells or cells that like kind of directly interface with your brain. Um, and like when we think of neurodegeneration, probably like the diseases that come to the front of our mind are like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's disease. Um, but there have been many others recently like ALS that have started to like get more attention. So it's so a lot of ALS, excuse me, is the is Lou Gehrig's disease? Yeah, so ALS stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Um, that's the really sciencey name for it, but um, conventionally, it's also been referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease because he was one of the um, kind of famous people to have it, and that was when they first started to like characterize the disease. So it's sort of associated with his name. Okay. Do the cells that are degenerating in ALS, do they look like the cells that degenerate naturally? Um, so, so the cells that degenerate, there's a specific set of cells that degenerate in ALS, and those are called motor neurons. So these are the, the cells that directly interface between your brain and the muscles in your body. So if you think of Lou Gehrig and, and people that you might have seen, um, like Pete Frades, who is the person behind um, the Ice Bucket Challenge, a lot of times these, these people are, um, they end up like wheelchair bound and, and ultimately the patients um, end up dying because their muscles atrophy so much because they're not getting the signals from their brain um, that their body basically shuts down. Um, so is that what your lab is focused on? So we're not looking directly at patients right now, but we're looking at what happens in, in basic neuronal-like cells um, during this process. So there's so many things that your cell does. And in ALS and neurodegeneration in general, um, we don't know the timing of any of these things, like the way that your proteins get made becomes different in these diseases or it stops working. Sometimes you have proteins that you don't need anymore so your cell actually has like a recycling mechanism and sometimes that goes haywire um sometimes like even making um, dna and rna to express proteins and genes that your cell needs to do different processes um sometimes that goes wild and we don't really understand like what comes first we just know right now that many of the things a cell does are all involved. Can you talk to me about how proteins and cells work together? You mentioned protein, and I'm used to thinking about protein as a meat or 
egg or something that you eat that's got protein in it, but yeah. that's not what you're talking about, right? It's a different right. kind? Right. So protein is a basic molecule that exists in your cells, and they do all kinds of different things. So the proteins that we study um, actually have some pretty cool properties. So first of all, there's a couple of set of proteins that, that we're really interested in. Um, they're called um, cytoskeletal proteins, and that sounds a little bit crazy, but they're called that because um, they actually make something that's analogous to the skeleton in your body. They do that for the cell. So those proteins are called um, actin and microtubules. So act, and when actin you, and yep. microtubulin, the, they help give the cell its structure? Right. So actin and microtubules give the cell structure. They have these, like, they adopt this, like, filamentous form. Um, and microtubules are, like, bigger. And they sort of, if you if you wanted to think of this in food terms, because everyone, like, feel like, likes to eat, right? Mm -hmm. um, microtubules are like bucatini pasta. They're actually like hollow tubes in your cell. And actin is sort of like cooked spaghetti. It's smaller and it's floppier. And even though it's like floppier, these two things like work together to, to build like the cell, basically. They're like the structural support of the cell. Like if you were an architecture, you know, student, it would be like the beam. Um, if you wanted to think of it in the context of, you know, just in a cell, the cytoskeleton, if you have a nerve cell, the cytoskeleton um, is basically its road. So, like, the microtubules are, like, the major highways, and the actin would be the smaller side streets that you take to get to your house. So and they're, actually, they're both the, very important for the structure. They're both very important, and they both rely on each other to get stuff done and and it's structural but it's also other things so it's easy to think of them as like a skeleton as their name sort of implies but they're also really dynamic molecules um so so it's sort of like a cytoskeleton that can constantly morph around um and on top of it if you think of it as like a road you know how with construction you can build new roads, the same sort of stuff happens, right? You can build a new path, you can break it down, you can, like, you know, recycle those materials to build a road somewhere else. If you were to zoom out and use Google Maps, right, you could sort of see, like, the skeleton of your city based on the roads. So it's sort of a similar thing in a cell. And then on top of it, there's lots of proteins um, that move around on these roads in the cell so this is like a structure just like roads are and those proteins are exactly like cars and they bring things from different places like the nucleus out into the cytoplasm and back again because i don't know by the edge of a cell if you're migrating forward you might need different building blocks than if you're in your nucleus let me remind listeners this is upstate's health link on air i'm your host amber smith and I'm talking with Dr. Jessica Hinty Radella. She's an assistant professor at Upstate, and we're talking about neurodegeneration. Now, these proteins—I'm assuming um, different proteins have different roles in different neurodegenerative diseases. Is that correct? Oh yeah, absolutely. So, so these proteins, actin and microtubules, specifically, are involved in everything your cell does. They're the most abundant proteins on Earth. They also interface, like, like hundreds of proteins regulate these proteins on top of their complex regulation on their own, right? And so these proteins 
are actually the ones that start to get specifically neurodegeneration. And the one that we're really interested in, actually there's two that we're really interested in. One is called profilin, which actually is causative in a lot of diseases, but it's one of the most abundant proteins on earth. And that can actually make microtubules grow faster, uh, which is sort of like, so it sort of like turns up the knob to like making these structures more dynamic. And it can do that to actin as well and, and maybe facilitate the crosstalk between them. So it's sort of something that's at the interface of both of these rows that can sort of dictate what, what the cell is going to do. Is, let, other, let me interrupt. Is that a sure. positive thing to make the microtubules and the actin grow faster? Do we want them to grow faster necessarily? Well, most of the time we want them to do whatever they normally do. So if they grow faster in some cases, that can actually cause cancer. Um, in the context of neurodegeneration, if there's just generally more microtubules polymerized, that's also not a great thing. Um, but we don't exactly know like how... Like if you fine-tune that dynamics and for how long by profilin, how that actually like translates to neurodegeneration. This is something that's totally new. In fact, the only like the strongest link we have of profilin to neurodegeneration is actually with ALS, where specific mutations that are found in families that um, pass these ALS genes on um, have been found in that protein and somehow they um, cause ALS um, more frequently. So they're, they're causative in ALS. Um, and in that case, when you lose your protein, like, like, well, when you have this mutation, the protein loses the ability to regulate microtubules. And because, hmm. and so the microtubules actually slow down. So, it, um, you know, they speed up. If you completely lose this protein, the microtubules can both slow down and speed up. So it's a little bit confusing. But what that really means is it's just very complicated, and cells are very sensitive to the levels of profilin that, that are around them. So it's actually a tricky problem for scientists, but we have ways to solve it. <laughs> now, and you've got some project in your lab that is directly tied to ALS and neurodegenerative diseases, right? Yes. So we are, we are actually looking at the details of the interaction between profilin and actin and microtubules um, to see exactly what it's doing to those dynamics. And we can do that in a test tube. So we just purify the protein and use uh, a really fancy form of microscopy to, to actually look and see what happens um, directly to those cytoskeletal filaments. Um, we also are investigating interactions between profilin and another um, protein, which has over 50 mutations in ALS, and that's called TDP43. So T TDP43, what, can you describe what that is? Yeah, so it doesn't have a particularly interesting name for like what that abbreviation is. It actually stands for TAR-DNA binding protein 43. Um, but what's really interesting about that protein, besides that it has 50 mutations with ALS, is it's also sort of the link between do you have ALS or just neurodegeneration? Like that's a big open question right now. Um, the phenotype that we see in patients, the only way to really diagnose ALS is to rule out everything else first because we can't even, we don't even know what are the specific things that go wrong 
in ALS versus other forms of neurodegeneration. And TDP43 is a beautiful example of that. So um, if even without disease, if you're over the age of 80, which, you know, some of us are lucky, lucky to get that far, it turns out that this protein can start to sort of aggregate in your cytoplasm just there normally. So somehow it's part of the aging process. We don't really know how. Normally, this protein lives perfectly happily in your nucleus. And when it goes out into the cytoplasm, that's usually bad news. Um, similar to Alzheimer's disease, there's this um, incredible microtubule binding protein called tau. And that forms aggregates in the cytoplasm in Alzheimer's disease when, when they're, and that, that's what causes the problem. And if you take those aggregates and in, in like, um, in the lab and, and put them on top of perfectly healthy cells, those cells actually get worse. Hmm. The same thing happens with TDP43. Um, so, so that's sort of interesting, but it happens normally with age. Um, in Alzheimer's disease, you get some of these aggregates forming in the cytoplasm. And in ALS, when you have mutations in TDP43, you get tons of aggregates in the cytoplasm. So um, this aggregation phenomenon is sort of, um, it actually happens normally with this protein in the nucleus. It's just when it goes out of the nucleus, it becomes a problem. So we're actually really interested to see, is it using actin and microtubule roads to get out of the nucleus? And does the dynamics of the actin and microtubules change um, when this protein gets out, you know, and is now present in the cytoplasm? Is that what makes you really sick? And then on top of it, TDP43 and profilin are like best friends. They directly interact. And it seems that Protholin doesn't really form aggregates on its own, but when it's there with TDP43, it, it makes even more aggregation, like way more of it. And we've seen that in the test tube, and we've also seen it in cells. So could there potentially be a way to turn this TDP thing into a, a way to treat some of these neurodegenerative diseases? Right. So, like, that would be the goal, right? Um, either to use TDP43 or possibly profilin as a target for, um, for a therapeutic would be a really good idea. TDP43 is a pretty big protein. It might be a little bit challenging because it's involved in a lot of things that the cell does. But I even think if we could somehow target the interaction between TDP43 and this profilin thing that's basically like a rheostat, right, or like the thermostat in your house, it's like turning things up or turning it down. With other proteins that, that form aggregates, for some, some reason, this protein is like a convergence point. And sometimes it, it makes bigger aggregates, but fewer of them. We don't even know if bigger aggregates is worse than, like, more smaller aggregates, right? So, like, even knowing that would be of interest to this field, right? Well, I appreciate you sharing your research with us. Thank you so much to Dr. Jessica Hinty Rodella. She's an assistant professor of cell and developmental biology and of biochemistry and molecular biology at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's HealthLink on Air.